Muir stood his ground. It was a great day, the day a man stood up against apartheid and the bureaucratic machinery of the state. People of all shades shook his hand. The post office buzzed, and as he moved up the line, he imagined a story being told for generations to come. The story of the white man in the non-white parcel queue. The white man who broke the back of apartheid. And as he moved up the line, he could see a great future in the new world of peace, love, kindness and equality. And he became a legend. And those who were there that day told their children, who told their grandchildren. And when the system collapsed, the new city fathers and mothers, made up of all races, creeds and body types, decided that it all began back on that day. A strange, long-haired, pink-coloured white boy made a stand in the Cape Town Central Post Office. And they arranged for his statue to be erected on the pavement at the front of the building. But because there was no record of him, no photograph, and they had no idea where he came from or what he looked like, they erected a likeness gleaned from the memories of those who were there. A tall, handsome, blonde man with wide shoulders who looked surprisingly like Clint Eastwood. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading Magazine is a monthly publication dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. My name's Greg Dobbs. Today I'm talking to John Doust about his new book, Return Ticket. John, welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Thank you. Good morning or afternoon or evening. John, Return Ticket is the third in the Jack Muir trilogy. The first, Boy in a Wire, is based on your own experiences at boarding school in the 60s. The second, to the Highlands, is billed as Jack Muir's coming of age. But in this, the third instalment, Return Ticket, Jack Muir takes up where he left off in To the Highlands, but he seems to be maturing. Will Jack Muir ever grow up? <laughs> oh dear, will Jack, will the author ever grow up? One of the things I wanted to do with Jack, because you're right, the first book's five years in boarding school. The second book I see is The Fall of Jack Muir. This is Jack getting carried away in the colonial experience, and he essentially has a, a, a mental breakdown, what we used to say in the old days. We'd call it, I don't know what we'd call it now, he's. Uh, but he's broken. He comes home broken. And this Jack Muir in Return Ticket, this this is a Jack who's troubled by his past, is still somewhat wobbly. He goes to South Africa and, of course, in South Africa, he gets caught up with drug dealers and, and hippies and so on. And but, but we know, those of us who remember Jack from the first book know that Jack is really an idealist and has a very strong sense of social justice. So in Return Ticket, the this is the Jack that emerges once again. This is this is the Jack that's been waiting to emerge, to, to achieve what, what Carl Jung would call individuation. That's wholeness. Jack wants to be a whole man. I'm not sure I'm done with Jack, but I got Jack as close as I could. I think in many ways, Jack's ahead of me. In a couple of ways, perhaps he's behind me. One of the interesting things with, with Return Ticket was when it was done, I, I felt a kind of a loss. It was like, Jack's gone now. I don't know what to do. 
a kind of where to next moment. Exactly. I kind of sat in the chair for a couple of days. My wife, who's from the Netherlands, was in the Netherlands, and and uh, when the final when the final work was done, and I sat in a chair for about two days, looking at, not even at myself, looking out the window. Luckily, I've got a great view. Just just looking out the window and thinking, where's Jack? 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 Don't leave me. I'm not. You can't. I need you, Jack. I need you. You are the purpose of my life, Jack. Jack Muir has been described as immature, reckless even, and, and he partakes of his fair share of sex, drugs and alcohol. But there's also something inherently moral in his outlook. And in that passage we just heard you read, he kind of sees himself as a hero. Is he a hero or is he an anti-hero? And what's the difference between the two anyway? There's two Jacks really in the turn ticket. There's the, the early Jack who's in that passage, and then of course there's the shift in time to the to the to the 2000s. And this is the older Jack looking back at the younger Jack. One of the things I wanted to do in the third book was to mock Jack, because we do that as we get older. We think, if, if, for example, I'm a classic baby boomer. I was a a classic hippie in many ways. I wanted to mock him. In South Africa, he's an idealist. He's caught up with the wrong people, but he feels the evil of apartheid. He's lived in a country where there were no rules. There were no laws against cohabitation between races. And he's in this country where everything is, is strictly ordered and precise. And he's he hates it. And he wants to break it. And because he's an idealist and because he's self-centered and self-indulgent and self-obsessed, as we all were back then in the in the 60s and the 70s, he if he does a little thing, a little tiny thing, like stand in the non-white queue, he thinks somehow he builds it into something magnificent. I think we all do that when we're relating stories of our past. We have an exaggerated view of ourselves and the stands that we made. And that is what I wanted to do. In my view, of course, Jack is a hero uh, well, because he's my Jack and I have complete control over his entire life. <laughs> so he is my hero. But I don't, I don't want him to be here. I want him to be a, a man of his generation struggling to work his way through all the issues, all the, the inner turmoil, the outer turmoil that is thrown at him. Buried in the pages of Return Ticket, there's a reference to Herman Hesse's Siddhartha. Is Jack Muir on a journey to enlightenment in the way that Herman Hesse might have been? Siddhartha is the most read book in my life. In my reading life, it is the book I've read more often than any other book. I have to read it at least once every two years in order to maintain my equilibrium. When I got to the point of, of writing about Jack's arrival at an almost mature state, Siddhartha was going to be a, an important part of that story. There were two books, uh, Herman Hesse books, that really informed my, my early emergence as an amateur philosopher, and, and they were uh, Steppenwolf and Siddhartha, of course, but much more importantly, Siddhartha. I'd never thought of myself as a, and I still don't think of myself as a, a as a philosopher. But I remember because I grew up in a small town in the southwest of of Western Australia, uh, with with people who are nothing like me. They were all very grounded people. I was always a dreamy guy. One of the reasons why I, I wrote three books based on my life is that looking back. I found myself quite interesting. I don't know if that sounds a bit narcissistic, but going from a, a small country town to a boarding school w w was uh, was not a 
in many ways not a pleasant experience. But having grown up on a farm with people who were very grounded and very clever with their hands, they were very good at fixing things. But uh, I wasn't good at fixing engines. I couldn't fix the spraying machine when it broke. I couldn't build a shed. But I could hoe and chop. I was the house wood chop champion. I could drive a tractor. I could do all those sorts of things. But if the tractor broke down, for example, the other brothers would just get off and fix it. Whereas I would get off and lie under a tree and dream of worlds that never existed until somebody came along and fixed it. So I, all, I, I was a very active boy. I loved climbing trees. I loved adventure. And so my books, my favorite books were all adventure books. I remember my father having a conversation with him once and he said to me uh, something like, and this is the great thing about fiction. I remember his attitude towards me. I don't remember exactly what he said. So you have to make stuff up. But I remember him saying to me once, you've got a very philosophic turn of mind. And I didn't quite know what he meant. But of course, I came to know what he meant. And that meant to me as I emerged was that the older I got and the older Jack got, the more interested he became in the outer world. And in those three books, we see Jack move from a very self-obsessed, self-centered, narcissistic boy to a, a self-indulgent younger man and then to a, 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 world, a worldly man, a man who, who listens to other people's stories because I think – Hopefully, readers will notice in Return Ticket that it's not just Jack's stories. There's a lot of other people's stories in the book. He becomes a great listener. I think that's something very important in one's climb towards a level of maturity is the, the, the ability to listen, but to really listen, to hear other people's stories. Because as you know, Gregory Dobbs, everybody has a story. And those people who say to me, oh, I don't have much of a story, they're the ones I want to spend time with and grill them until I get every last morsel from them. It does sound like Jack Muir is on some kind of journey to somewhere, whether it's enlightenment or elsewhere. But I want to talk for a moment about um, Jack's stance. He's a very moral kind of person. He, he takes a view on things like racism and apartheid, colonialism, independence, despite this wayward life he's led, but he's also a bit of a closet socialist or maybe in the process of becoming one. Do those two things go together, the developing moral code and socialism? Are they necessarily linked? Now, there's a big question. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, it, yes, I think, I think they are. And I think that it's very important to make the distinction between what we might call real socialism and the, the socialism that's been given a bad name by the totalitarian dictators and the totalitarian bureaucrats because the socialism that I experienced on the kibbutz in the 1970s was, I think, what we could call real socialism. There was a meeting once a week in the dining room. Uh, people, not everybody went, but the majority of members went and they voted on issues as they came up. The two most important people on the on the kibbutz, in the kibbutz, were the social secretary and the economic secretary. No decisions were made without consultation but with both those people. And you were trained to do the task. You weren't just thrown in because you, you were a nice guy or because you could add up. You were trained to, for the task. And you only you only did a two-year term. 
And so it was passed around the community. Was We often forget how much socialism, the spirit of socialism, informs our lives. Now, I live in a regional town and I know that you don't get a public event, you don't you, you don't get a festival without your volunteer workforce. And what's that? That's the spirit of socialism. No country town in Australia exists without its volunteer works workforce. There are so many businesses now in, in regional areas are owned by cooperatives. In the old days when I was a boy, there were many cooperatives and they're coming back. And this is the spirit of socialism. For example, a local health food shop here in in. Uh, in Kinkanup, Kinjarling, place of plenty, place of rain, home in the Noongar Manang, some people call Albany, named after Duke of York and Albany, who was never here, by the way. So a health food shop, we only have two health food shops in the town. One health food shop closed up, just shut its doors. The The owner left town and people were were very upset about this because this health food shop had been running for 30 years. What do they do? They formed a cooperative. This is the spirit of socialism. Jack understands the spirit of socialism. And in the spirit of socialism, yes, there is a high level of morality. It's about doing the right thing. And in my worldview, it's about the right thing for everything and everybody. It's not just the people, it's the environment, it's the ocean, it's the forest, it's it's the creatures that inhabit those places. That I think is the true and the spirit of socialism. And we know this from the bushfires. Just how many how many people in how many towns and regions came together as one it was wonderful. Spirit of socialism. Jack, Jack can save us. <laughs> I noticed that Jack has a fascination for washing up. It's washing up as a cleansing ritual, almost uh, an ordering ritual in uh, what seems to be a rather dirty and disordered world. Hard labour is the the thing that he seems to prefer. Do you and Jack share this fascination for washing up? Yes, I do. I've uh, often in difficult times, I've gone out and just work out. I have a, I live in a suburban block, but I I have I grow a lot of things. I. Uh, all my brothers and I, we all grow stuff. We can't not grow stuff. We shrivel up and, and, and disappear if we don't grow things. Now, this this is a better question than you realise, Gregory Dobbs, because I, I never washed dishes like Jack Muir. I didn't. When I decided on using the dishwashing theme throughout the book, I paid, I have in my life washed a lot of dishes. I did, I have washed dishes on most continents, I will admit, but. Are you trying to tell me you've now got a dishwasher? No, no, yes, we do have a dishwasher, but we never use it. Okay. <laughs> but w- what I did was when I decided to use it in the book, I paid particular attention to how I washed dishes and I thought I'm a little too casual. So I just, I worked a way of washing dishes that became Jack's way. And guess what, Greg? That's now my way. I learned how to wash dishes through Jack Muir. And that actually leads me to what might be my last question. A lot of readers were expecting redemption for Jack Muir in your last book, To the Highlands. But that didn't really seem to happen. As you said, it it was his fall. Is there redemption for Jack Muir in Return Ticket? Oh, yes, I think so. I think. I think there's redemption for Jack. I'm hoping that those people who said to me when they heard I was writing the third, is there redemption in this book, John? Is there redemption? 
I, I'm hoping they'll send me an email or give me a call and say, oh, Joe, you've redeemed Jack. Thank you. <laughs> I'm hoping because because much of To the Highlands for me is also a love story. It's about the love of someone who he could never love because because he admired her too much. And in this book, Jack gives himself to love and uh, not as many times as I've given myself to love, by the way, Greg. But, but but only twice in the book. And one of the things that Jack does is he, he closes circles. Now, this is one area where Jack is ahead of me. He's, Jack has closed more circles than me. I, I felt it was important that Jack go back and he sees people that, uh, that, the, that he had relationships with that didn't end well. He's reconciled with his parents, with his father in particular, because his relationship with his father was problematic. He's come to terms with his mother because one of the important threads in, in the first book was this unstable mother. And, and I had to be very careful with that because, of course, I was writing from the point of view of a teenager and, and he wouldn't know exactly. But in, in my case, my, my mother battled depression all her life. I wanted Jack to come to terms with, with her and I wanted there to be secret moments between the two of them. And, of course, I've dedicated the book to, th to three women and, and one of the women was my mother and the other woman was the mother of my my first Israeli girlfriend who, who isn't in the book and she was a, uh, a Holocaust survivor from Auschwitz and the third woman being my my partner who's still with me after 44 years who I met on a kibbutz and um, I think the way that Jack has organized his relationships with these women other women his, his family, his mother's family, and his father in particular, I think that this, is, this has caused Jack to, to uh, I think I've forced redemption upon him. <laughs> I think if, uh, but of course, you know, in the end, everybody's going to read the book in the way they do. And I can't determine how everybody's, what people are going to take from the book. But so far, I have to say, uh, people who have contacted me who have read all three have, said some sweet, lovely and kind things. As a final question, and I think this really is the final question, how much of John Doust is in Jack Muir and how much of Jack Muir is in John Doust? <laughs> That's a brutal question. Um, I think that my uh, somebody asked my wife the other day and she, she was asked, is is Jack Muir, John Doust, and she sort of gave one of those sly looks. I was in the same room. She did admit that she hadn't read Return Ticket. She doesn't read anything until it's a book, and then she doesn't read it for some time. So uh, what, do, what I think that in many ways Jack is a better man than I am, and I think in some ways I'm a better man than Jack. I think of him as my twin brother, as, as a man I, I know all too well. I think I've made life... A, a bit harder for for Jack than than it was for me really uh, in some ways although in other ways it was harder for me but I think I've viewed given that I'm a writer and Jack isn't Jack's a victim of writing 
I, I think that life for me really has been, and, and, and I'm reminded of a conversation I had this morning in a nursery. Uh, we, we were talking about the way people are behaving and the, the nursery owner was saying that some people had resigned because they were really frightened about the virus. And I said that I think these times are very important testing times for us. And, and, and I said, why did they resign? They said, because they're too serious about it. I said, yes, we can be serious, but we've got to maintain our humour. And I think that life, life for me, looking back, has been in, 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 in many ways a glorious adventure. And I, I feel blessed to have had all the horrible things that happened to me and all the wonderful things that happened to me because I've, got, I've been blessed with this art form, uh, this, this desire, this willingness, and, and some kindly say this ability to write. And whereas Jack, poor old Jack, is a victim of my writing. I'm the Donald Trump of Jack's life. I'm <laughs> Surely not, Jack. Surely no, not. sure. I'm sorry. I apologise for saying that. I'm the, I, I'm the Govinda. I'm the Siddhartha. I'm the Zarathustra of Jack's life. And I think that he is much more of a victim than I have been. Does this mean the circle is now complete? Both Jack no. and John Dowst's trilogy? It does. It does. It means it means the end of the trilogy. But does it mean the end of Jack Muir? I can't say that. There's a whole lot of Jack that isn't revealed in this book. Jack had a career. There's a cursory mention of his career. There's no exploration of that. So I don't know. I am working on a couple of other books. One certainly isn't Jack Muir. One could be Jack Muir, but I'm not sure. But I'm not going to. What What I'm going to do is is uh, see this this bit through. Uh, what a shame all the book launches are gone all i had a lot of appearances booked they're all gone so we're down to social media and but as you know greg the wonderful thing about social media is is, it's the people like gregory dobbs pop up and and enhance your life (laughs) it's another exciting journey that's very kind of you john i hope that the life of jack muir continues But it's been a great pleasure talking to you, John, and thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Thank you very much, and stay safe, stay healthy. I will. I've been talking to John Doust about his new book, Return Ticket. It's published by Fremantle Press and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au and all good bookstores. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening.